and welcome to the Kettlebell Collective podcast. My name is Tiffany and today's interview is with Ian Gilligan and Kylie Tulipin. Um, I just wanted to stop up top and let you know some of the cool things we're doing with Kettlebell Collective. Coming up in the next few weeks, we have a couple different workshops. Um, coming up on March 23rd, we have a glutes workshop with Haley Kavza, and on March 27th, we have a Turkish get-up workshop with me. Please check our Instagram for more details. We can't wait to see you, and enjoy the interview. All right, we are recording. Coach Kylie, welcome. Thank you for sitting down with me. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You ready to dive into all things kettlebells and beyond? Why not? What I love. There we go. So I found you on Instagram just because I follow a bunch of kettlebell accounts. And your Instagram's Coach Kylie? That's correct. Cool. So how long have you been training with kettlebells? I've been training with kettlebells seven years now, eight years now. I, um, wow. I got into it. I was very long story short. I got into CrossFit, moved to the U S got my CrossFit certification to coach and was looking for a new way of, um, just something different to add, not be your typical fitness, personal trainer, CrossFit coach. It was like, what can I have that would be different and unique? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was at the gym and my friend Shana and Adam, her coach were playing with, well, I called it playing with kettlebells. It looked pretty cool and fun what they were doing. They were swigging and snatching and, and having fun with it. And I went up to Adam and I was like, Hey Adam, like, I, I'm new to the coaching world. I want to do something that's going to be different. Stand out. What do you think of, um, like kettlebells and stuff and what kettlebell certs are out there. So he told me to speak to Shana. Shana got me hooked on this particular certification, which was strong first. What got me was the fact that I'd have to actually train for it. I wasn't just attend the weekend and here you go. Mm -hmm. Um, So that really automatically excited me. And then it was training during that process. The transformation and change that I felt physically, mentally, and emotionally was amazing to say the least. And tell I, me, tell me a little bit about that. So the thing with kettlebells is you cannot have an ego. You just can't. If you really want to enjoy kettlebell training and enjoy the beauty of it, you really have to be present and in the moment. You can't, because of the jump, and this is also, I have to put a caveat because now you can get half weight bells and you can get personally dialed in small increments. But if you go to the traditional set, which I use, it's a four kilo or eight pound jump in weight. So when you're looking at pressing a 12 kilo kettlebell to a 16, you've got to go on a process. It's not like you can just pick it up straight away and press it. Just because you can press maybe eight to 10 reps with a 12 doesn't mean that yes, you can press a 16 or one or two reps. So from that aspect, you have to be very humble. You have to be able to basically accept 
that you're at the mercy of the kettlebell. You're at that mercy at of the mercy journey. of the kettlebell. At that journey of strength. Then when you start to look at the ballistic movements, you need to be able to feel what we call the float. So if your mind is rushing and going a million miles an hour and you're over gripping the bell, you're not feeling it. So the kettlebell really forces you to feel where your body is at at any given time. It forces you to understand, like, if I actually slightly contract my lat a little bit harder, I'm going to be able to stop that bell that little fraction earlier, which will give me this other ripple effect. What do you think it is about the kettlebell that creates that opportunity to feel what the whole body is doing? Definitely how dynamic it moves. The actual shape of the bell is what makes it so unique. Like you cannot, a lot of, you see a lot of people that will grab a dumbbell and think that you can swing a dumbbell just like you swing a kettlebell mm -hmm. just because they might not have access to it. It's a complete different feeling. Even with when it comes to pressing, the fact that the weight is pushed against your forearm versus a dumbbell where it's placed evenly on either side and it's not touching you, that sensory changes how you're feeling and forces you to have to feel certain things from that aspect. So for me, that was a big reason why I loved it for because I had come from, it also like it fed the the side of me the old side of me that used to do iron man training mm. where you have to go into your head so it's it's that and it's the continued repetition and practice like you because it's so repetitive you're actually building a level of self-confidence interesting over, so over period of time you're you learning to master and maneuver but at the same token on the flip side it can be as frustrating as anything and, and I can give you a classic example that was when for my my very first certification I had to press a pair of 16s for five reps I could always get to four but I could never get to five what was it that held you back from that fifth from the fifth if you asked my coach at the time then it was my head he was like, it, it's in your head. You're too in your head. If you get out of your head, you'll just press the thing. In hindsight, was he right? In hindsight, it was a combination of two things. One, yes, I was definitely in my head. And because I hadn't got it, I going back to your stories that we were talking about previously, it's that story that kept ringing through my head. Well, I never get it. I'm never going to get it. I can't get it. This is too hard. That storyline as well but in addition to that what i later learned when i finally did press them for my sort of was we talk about an application of tension and applying tension in order to create a stronger body and to move more load but what i was failing to do was dial that level of tension in accordance to the weight that i was moving and how fatigued i was at the time so I was like going out at full tension from first rep. Mm -hmm. So then when I really needed to create more tension, I had no more to give. I had burnt it out. Instead of creating enough tension in the body to get the first three reps out, and then when it starts to get heavy, have extra in the tank to dial in, I was going all out from the beginning. 
So then learning that process of it. So I'm wondering for somebody listening who isn't familiar with building tension in the body, uh, say during a press, how would you describe that? Or how could you build tension in the body when you're doing that? Okay, so if we're talking about, let's use the example of a single press, I think is probably the easiest way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Creating tension, I start by teaching my students, you press from the ground. So when you're holding your, your weight, you're pushing your feet into the ground, you're pulling your quads up, you're squeezing your butt, you're bringing your hips to your ribs, you're pulling down on your lat, and then you're pressing overhead. If you're using a single arm press versus a double, then you've got the added benefit of actually creating tension with the non-bell hand by creating a fist. And that's where we start talking about irradiation and things like that, how you can actually grab tension from other areas of your body and channel it into what is moving to help you move. Does that make sense? It does. So just by creating tension throughout my body, I'm going to be able to lift more weight or move the same amount of weight more times. More times, more efficiently, smoother as well. If you think of it like when I'm working with my kids, the way I explain creating tension to them and why is, do you remember when you were a kid and you, when we were at school and you got given two little paper cups and a piece of string? Mm-hmm. When the strings nice and taut, the message went through, you could hear the person at the other end. Ooh, yeah. But when it was all loose, you struggled to hear. Yeah, I like Think that. Of your muscles and your, and your nervous system like that, the tighter you can create your body, it's going to have more tension. It's going to be physically stronger. But in addition to that, it means that your nerve endings aren't so loose. They're nice and tight. So the message going to the brain to get the, the muscle to move is going to be moving faster and clearer. Gotcha. So that, that's kind of a, a visual, the way I use it with, with my kids and teaching them about where energy is coming from and where you're wanting it to go. Beautiful. So, yeah. I like that. So you got your strong first certification yes and did you go right into teaching kettlebells um no i didn't so i did a lot of crossfit because i'm certified both in strong first the brand x method and crossfit as well as just general personal training and i actually started off coaching in a charter school crossfit with some kettlebell movements Um, It wasn't until I started working at, I worked at a CrossFit gym, CrossFit, a Strong First gym downtown a few years ago, but- Los Angeles? Yes, in Los Angeles. um, Source One Martial Arts and Fitness. So we were down, I was working down there and I started to teach it in a group environment, but I was working with, I was predominantly in a CrossFit gym um, when I first got here. And it was teaching my private students kettlebells more so than a, than a group situation. And I chose to use the kettlebell just because even though I was fully qualified in CrossFit, it was a lot less intimidating um, for the students that I was working with when I explained to them about 
the shape of the bell and where it's positioned in relation to their body. So teaching them how to deadlift was a lot easier to teach them with a kettlebell than having this big barbell in front of them. Yeah. Because one thing that the kids used to hate is why do I have to wear big high socks if I'm deadlifting a barbell? Like, because the barbell needs to be that close that you might scrape your skin and I kind of don't want to take the blood off the barbell. I thought that was just style. I thought CrossFitters just had a style. They have to wear the socks. Well, I think there is an element of that, but there is a safety, you know. We've got to yep. make safety stylish somehow. But that's kind of how I started to see the beauty of, I guess, for me, like at the time when I, the first gym that I was really coaching out of was Deuce Gym. And I was doing Logan's um, coaches development program. And it was heavily around CrossFit. But at the time I was training for, to go further within strong first into my level one and level two programs. So for me, I started to see the beauty of kettlebells and how it could help CrossFit. And that's kind of when, when it came to my kids, it was just kettlebells was my favorite thing. And I, I loved it. I knew it inside out and I could talk to how it could help and transfer into other things for them. Help in the sense of preparing people for CrossFit? Definitely helping them prepare for CrossFit um, in the sense of shoulder stability, mobility, stabilizing work, and that side of things. Um, for me, that's what I saw it as. It's a great way of introducing and helping them with their cardio. It's how I knew how to teach people how to use their breath in order to enhance their strength. Um, I didn't get taught how to brace when I learned CrossFit. But when I learned kettlebells, I got taught how to brace. So then when it came to lifting heavy load, I understood. And it got to the point where I remember I was actually talking to a CrossFit coach one day and I was explaining tension and holding breath. Um, and said to, he's like, so how do you do it? And I said, I'm actually having a complete conversation with you right now while maintaining tension. He's like, but how? And I said, and I explained to him how in kettlebells, we get taught how to breathe behind the shield and how you yeah. need to be able to go between that high tension, low tension with the brace quite quickly, especially when you're swinging because at no point do you lose tension when you swing, you only increase it and, and dial it slightly back down in order to stay safe. And so they were the sorts of things that I could see being an advantage to those that, were, that I was teaching that were doing CrossFit. But then when it came to my kids, because I work predominantly with the teenagers, it just made sense to teach them the kettlebell first. I think that makes a lot of sense. When I learned CrossFit, I had one week introduction. We used a uh, plastic pipe, basically. And we did reps with the Olympic lifts. And they're like, okay, great. You're good to go. And then I go into a class and they're like, all right, it's 10 minutes. How many snatches can you get? And I was like, huh? Okay. And there's like 10 people in the room and I'm just snatching this. And I'm like, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think, I don't think I have enough tension in my body to be yeah. doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, like, it comes back to why I fell in love with the bell 
it trains you physically, mentally, and emotionally. You, you have, and you've got to have all those three. You've got to be present. You've got to really feel inside and feel inside your body. Like, I love it. Um, my kids that I'm coaching are seeing great results with it in that sense. And it, it seems to be the other beauty of it is, is that they can take it wherever they want. They yeah. So, so you're doing something very interesting mixing breathing and kettlebells with your kids and you mentioned there was an emotional benefit can you yeah. tell us what what exactly you're doing there so what um i'll start from the beginning and how it actually how it even came about okay. so part of the certification we do we get taught about breath ladders um using kettlebell swings and breath ladders in order to enhance your cardiovascular performance this is in the strong first that's in the strong first certification part of our certification gotcha. one of the ways we teach you how to vary your training is by using breath so you can do time sets you can do breath sets you can do reps for sets different variations are all in there but i saw it as the way it was being taught was to enhance your cardio vascular because you're trying you get to a point where you cannot you you can't control your breathing depending on the weight that you're using and the rep scheme that you're doing so i had this girl rachel she'll probably kill me for mentioning her name but she, no one knows her last name so that's cool she came to me a few years ago walked into the gym and she was all like head down rolled shoulders skinny little girl gorgeous girl but lacking that self-esteem and that confidence in addition to that she would have the worst anxiety when it came to testing on the erg and it was like okay this is ridiculous because you're more than capable of doing it so we started off with doing creating a routine for her when she goes into into her training into a session for when she's testing, she would lay down and start with three minutes of breath work and visualize what she wanted to have happen in that test. While she was just doing some very basic three to five, depending on how she was feeling, whether it was just a nice, easy three count in, hold, exhale, like a triangle style breath. Very simple because at this stage, I didn't really understand too much about breath, but I did know that breath controls us and we can calm ourselves by using it. So I used it as a form in that instance to help her to focus in preparation for a test. We were getting, she had gotten to a stage where she had built a fair amount of confidence with me. We had put her through a workout where she had found her breaking point and her limit, what she thought was her limit and gotten past it, but she was still struggling to focus and to, to, to manage her nerves. So one particular Saturday morning in a very, very busy gym in Santa Monica, I turned around to her and I said, do you trust me? I've got an idea. Don't know if it's going to work. It was point blank honest with her. She was like, sure, what is it? And I said, well, you love swinging a bell. And I know that we can use breath to enhance our performance, but let's see if we can use it to help you stay focused in your sessions, especially when you're testing 
and to keep you calm. She's like, what are you going to do? I go, no, it's what you're going to do. And put a timer down. One, I think it, we did, I think it was the first time was 30 minutes, might've been a bit more. Put a timer down and I said, you're going to do one swing, two breaths, two swings, three breaths, take it up wherever we get, when the timer stops, the timer stops. At the end of the set, during that session, I was, I started off doing it with her. And then once I knew she was in a fairly good rhythm, I then put my bell down, parked my bell down, and I started yelling at her, poking at her, going in front of her, putting my hands in front of her eyes, as is, she's already in a crazy busy gym at peak hour on a Saturday. So there's dumbbells dropping, there's loud music, and she wasn't allowed to break. And she put the bell down and she's like, oh my God, that was amazing. She didn't even realize that I was there and that I was doing what I was doing. She even said, she goes, the first few times she felt me poke, by the end of it, she didn't know what was going on. She had just reached this whole complete different level. Um, from then on, she just, we just started progressively getting longer and longer pieces to help her. It then turned into COVID hit and there's a group. Real, of, real quick, real yeah. quick. So it's one swing, two breaths. two breaths. So always one extra breath. Yeah. So the Very idea cool. is that, um, with that, you should be getting to a point, especially because I don't tell them how to breathe i don't tell them what we're trying to achieve you don't say breathe through the nose or the mouth just breathe just breathe i just want you to breathe um did you and I did, you, did yeah. you happen to notice if your client breathed either through the mouth or the nose uh the first time she was definitely doing nose and mouth okay she was doing both um, and that's kind of where we're now, I'm now at a point with Rachel that when we do breath letters, we kind of change her rhythm around and, and give her a few different challenges. Um, the last breath letter I did with her, I asked her to keep her eyes open the entire time because, um, sometimes what would, ha what we tend to do, I know for me, even when I've done breath letters is when it comes to the breathing, I close my eyes just for, because I find it easier to stay focused and to control my breath. Mm -hmm. But I also know that the end goal isn't how many swings and breaths you get. You want the least number, not the most number. So there's yeah. everyone's listening, everyone's heard what you're actually trying to achieve. <laughs> um, but it's a lot harder than you anticipate. And I guess that leads us to what happened recently, um, which is four of my kids decided that hey, we want to try what Rachel gets to do. And I was like, okay, well, we don't have a gym to do it in because of COVID. Let's go down to the beach. So we all went down to the beach. And I should actually say, because I should have said this at the beginning, these kids are very proficient at swinging a kettlebell. I do not advise somebody who's just learning to pick up a bell and do this off the bat. And this is a good example as to why the first, um, I took these kids down to the beach. It was their first time with the exception of Rachel. And the volume of swings that some of them ended up doing 
was crazy. So needless to say, they couldn't walk for a few days afterwards. <laughs> and, you- and me being the coach, like one of them, I decided to let him go heavier than what I normally would let him do just for shits and giggles. Um, and he kind of, he kind of knew it. He knew that he could handle it, but he also couldn't handle it at the same token. It was, he was quite sore because being in the sand gave it another different dimension. It, it added sure. a different challenge um, onto the body. But that was where sort of like, I think where you were talking about the emotional side of things, that's where some real beauty happened at that particular session. And that's the kids had no idea what to expect. They just know that Rachel loved it. Um, and we started the session off and I just said literally that like, guys, we're going to swing. We're going to do it for an hour. I'm going to set a clock. I'm not watching you. I'm not cueing you. I'm not correcting you. You guys know how to swing. I just want one swing, two breaths. When the buzzer goes off, the buzzer goes off. And the buzzer went off and I then sat down with the kids and asked them, what was it that they experienced? And they, Colin was turned around and he's just like, I was so much calmer. I feel so much relaxed. He goes, the things that were going through my head before I came, he goes, I can't think of them. He said, I really feel like my mind's quiet and at peace. He goes, I'm happier now. I was like, that's awesome. And Carly pretty much said the same thing as well. She said, she goes, I just feel a sense of calmness and stillness. And she goes, it was like when I was swinging that every swing was letting go my stress. And it was really, it was a beautiful thing to hear, especially from a group of kids, like teenage kids. What were, do you remember some of the numbers of these swings that the kids got in? They got, um, Collins from memory, I think was the highest. He was in the high twenties. the first time. The second time he got it down a little bit further. Um, basically most of them, I think Carly might've been up in the thirties the first time. And the second time she dialed it, dialed it in. Rachel got hers down into low twenties. Um, but she also knows that what she's trying to achieve as well. Yeah. So she's starting to learn to really how to control the breath. She's figured out too, that if she can keep it into nose only, she can control it a lot easier for a lot longer and she can stay a lot calmer for a lot longer. Yeah. Where if she starts to get into the mouth breathing, she's going to start to, to breathe um, a lot faster. So just to be clear within the 60 minute session, uh, one person maxed out at a consecutive number of reps that was in the thirties, some people in the low twenties. Yes. Cool. Yeah, so it's an interesting, an interesting experience, and to see the difference in each of them and the numbers that they're getting. And the there was a was there a significant difference with the girl who did nasal only versus the others? Rachel, who started to do more nose only, like she has definitely reduced her numbers as a result. Um, of being able to calm that down. She also, with her last one, did it completely with her eyes open, which was I found really interesting. Interesting. So the breathing, I totally get. Like nasal only, The you're conditioning the air, the lungs are going to absorb it better, 
you're making sure the diaphragm's being used, pulling the air lower. Uh, she's probably used to higher levels, could be used to higher levels of CO2, releases more oxygen throughout the brain, muscles. That's cool. What do you think is going on with the open eyes though? I'm not sure because the interesting thing is Colin, on the other hand, with his experience, didn't keep his eyes closed. He went open and closed, which is the more natural thing to do. And what he found was that his- Open and closed, what do you mean? So he had his eyes opened when he swung, but had his eyes closed when he was breathing. Gotcha. And what he found was that the, the colors were becoming more and more vivid. So he said to me at the end of his session, he goes, when first he closed his eyes, he couldn't see anything, it was just black. And then as he progressively got further, he could start to see color. And then when he opened his eyes, the colors that were in front of him were even more vivid. What? Yeah, trippy, trippy, hey. That is wild, that is wild. Yeah, absolutely. And the only thing, like he turned around and he said, he goes, I'm putting it down that I'm spending so much time in front of a screen these days. And I was like, that's part of it. I said, do you think there's anything else? He's like, mm. and I said, I'm no scientist. I said, but I think the fact that your mind feels so much clearer from all the clutter that you're also seeing clearer. And that's also partly why things are more vivid for you. But um, it's, they actually at me, they want to do another one before Christmas. So I'll be curious to see what happens when we do the next one and what sort of starts to evolve and change. Cause I came across it, like I said, through strong first, we actually did my very, very first certification. We were down in La Jolla and I will never forget. We did a breath letter to finish the first day. And I can't remember what the rep scheme was, but the sun was setting and it was just this most peaceful angelic feeling at the end. It was a crazy feeling. Um, I'm yet to have another, other than the breath letters that I've done with the kids, that I think for me that out of the certifications, because of how that made me feel, I think that was partly why I chose to try it a few years ago with Rachel to start off with. Because I was sort of like, if I could be in a, a certification with 100 people and we're all doing the same thing and I can feel this sense of calmness as a result afterwards. It'd be curious to see if someone who's not, was it just sort of the certification and the surroundings that I was in that made us feel that, or was it something that was actually happening? So then cool. I found out that I guess it's something that's actually happening. Just don't ask me the science behind it. Very cool. So you have another one. Did you set a date? for this next one before Christmas? We, or? we haven't set a date because obviously things keep changing. So I've heard recently that the beaches are now closed here. So we've just got to mm. figure, figure it out. We're hoping to do it um, on December 13th. So not this weekend, next weekend was kind of when we're thinking of. So. And are you looking for, like can other people come to this or is this just for your clients? Your current um, clients? It's pretty much at the moment just for these kids. Um, cause gotcha. it's a state, it's a place where they're feeling safe and afterwards they're sort of sharing some of the things that they're going through. It's become more of a very close knit, like we've had people that are part of, so these, these particular four students are part of Mac rowing, 
which is a rowing team that I um, do some strength and conditioning training with a few of the athletes. Mm-hmm. And we've had a few from the team want to come and join in. And I've actually had to politely decline them coming as a part of it strictly because I don't know their level of fitness. I don't know their ability to swing a kettlebell and I don't want somebody just coming that has maybe only been swinging a bell for a few weeks and then doing that type of volume and walking away with a complete different experience and potentially sure. injured if they're not doing it. Cause I don't, I don't coach them. Like the parents know that we're all doing it together. We're all moving together. It's not a coached. Yeah. Don't do this if you're if you're learning how to swing a kettlebell. Definitely don't do this if you're learning how to swing. But we should actually set one up. You read my mind. Let's do it. We should definitely. Anybody set one up. in Southern California, heck, if you're on the East Coast, we'll let you fly out. You can come and participate. Because do a sunset at sunset swing. Sunset swings. They're good fun. Very cool. I'm looking forward to trying that. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Now, one other thing I wanted to ask you about was a very cool article you wrote on developing a coach's eye. And in that article, you lay out three key components. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Play, skill transfer, and deliberate practice. Okay, so through my own training um, and developing myself as a coach and just being able to, it comes back to kettlebells force you to have the devil in the detail. Um, I kind of, that's how deliberate practice came about in the sense of journaling everything, having intention and purpose when I'm actually training, Um, training for something specific, knowing what it is, what it is I'm trying, like when I'm picking a cue or a drill to enhance what it is that I'm like trying to enhance. So that's kind of deliberate practice in a, in a nutshell, so to speak. Okay. Um, the concept of play came about, um, I was at, goes back to my days of when I was at Deuce Gym and I was in Logan's development program. And it's all about CrossFit. And here you've got someone who's completely trained in kettlebells and is all about kettlebells. What's Logan's full name? Logan Gilbridge. Gilbridge. Yeah, he's written gotcha. the book Going Right as well, um, where he talks about the use of deliberate practice in- Right on, gotcha. Perform. So like with deliberate practice, you're gonna have a goal and an intention you're going to come back and you're going to check to see if you achieved it or didn't achieve it. What, where could you go wrong? Where did you go wrong? Where could you go better? That type of growth within your training. It's sort of like that type of loop. The idea of play came about in the sense of, like I said, I was doing, I was in a CrossFit world training bells. Um, and Logan brought uh, Carpoli Freestyle Connect to one of our Saturday coaches development pro sessions. Carl said something that I'll never forget. And he's like, stop looking at the movement and start looking at the shapes. Mm. 
So you started, I started to look at the shapes the body was making and I've never rowed in my life, but yet a lot of my students are rowers. I have never been able to do a ring muscle up or a bar muscle up, but I'm able to coach it. And it's this idea of not seeing the textbook and starting to see the shapes that the body makes and where else you're seeing them and starting to play with that, whether you're playing with it by using a different modality, whether it's just literally having fun and going, oh my goodness, this just came about. This would be cool. This would be a cool drill for X, Y, and Z. So it's having that element of fun. And then the whole thing of skill transfer is that that links them all together. So you, you've got your play and you're having your fun and you're seeing these shapes and things, but it's like, where else am I seeing it? And I think one of the best examples that I think of that you can see skill transfer, play and deliberate practice all sort of combined in one is when you're looking at the muscle up, you look at the transition of the muscle up on the rings in particular, and you look at a kettlebell clean. And if you look at those shapes and those movements side by side, you can actually see that the transition of the clean is pretty much the transition of the ring muscle up as well. You've got that pull back, push up. The difference being is you're obviously gonna land, you're gonna press it out on the, um, on the ring muscle up to get out into full extension. But so then if you've got somebody who is struggling with speed in the transition or is struggling with strength in the transition, training the kettlebell clean, whether you do it as a half kneeling clean, which really helps build the lat strength because you're not able to use the hips or whether you're trying to train, change, uh, train more of the speed aspect and not build so much strength, then doing something like the clean in, in a ballistic movement with the swing can help train that. Also comes down to helping you then look at if you're teaching class how you start to train and what sort of progressions you use or don't use so seeing the different shapes that you make can help you make your choices as to how you progress a movement what you choose to use and then if you've got it in a workout if you take a look at the shapes and then add the the actual end goal of the workout of what you're trying to get achieved whether it, are we going for strength gains? Are we going for cardio gains? If you combine the shape and that, then you can figure out what is the best substitute for a different movement. Does that make sense? Yeah. So playing with the shape can bring up a variety of movements that will transfer over. Uh, is, is having fun a big part of it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. If, you, if you're not having the fun with it, then you're not going to get it. And like nine times out of 10, a lot of the drills and cues that I've come up with with my kids in particular is out of just having fun with each other. Going, oh, and, can we see if we can do this with this? Okay. So what uh, are some ways you inject fun into the training? Some of the ways that we inject fun into the training is we actually have well, depending, are we talking on a one-on-one -on -one situation or in a group scenario? Let's go one-on-one. One-on-one, depending on my relationship with the individual, like where we're at, 
it usually becomes having them learn something completely different and new. Um, it might be the fact that they're doing really great with the Turkish get up with the kettlebell. How about now we use a med ball? You're going to hold a med ball and do it with a med ball just to change it up. So they're still working the same movement patterns, but it's changing the actual implement that they're doing. Gotcha. Sometimes it will be just giving them a competition against themselves or one another. Sometimes I'll jump in and then coming up also like working with kids, you get to get creative with the cues that you use. And that's some of the other aspects of where we add a little bit of fun with, with the kids is just with the language that you use. You get to be a big kid. Do you money uh, come to mind? Uh, the hundred dollar bill is one of the best ones. The kids love that. Let's hear it. So say for instance, I'm trying to get the kids to squeeze their butt. I'm like, imagine you got a hundred dollar bill between your butt cheeks. Do you want to lose a hundred dollar bill? I actually, that that's, that's one of the ones that I use the kids giggle because like they're young kids, especially if they've got their booty shorts on. That's an interesting one. Um, that's, that's one of the ones. The other one is like just simple things like zip up your jacket. Yeah. Um, hundred dollar bill. I can, I can wrap my head around that. I, I like say $1 bill. People may not care too much about it. No, but a hundred dollar bill, hundred dollar yeah. bill the armpits. Okay. Yeah. You know, you, you don't want to lose a hundred dollar bill. You don't want people to know they got stinky armpits. There you go. It's just, it, honestly, it's little, it's things that to me, I'm like, really, you get amusement out of it. Okay. That's cool. Like if that's what, if that's what helps, but I tend to like, and I also know like what, like Rachel's a great example. She loves to snatch. So sometimes if I've got her doing something that she doesn't want to do, the snatch kind of becomes the reward and the fun. Um, at the end, it's like bribery. Because <laughs> let's face gotcha. it, 17 year olds, 16 year olds, sometimes you've got to bribe them to get them to do what you want. Then you have the other extreme yeah. of those that are just getting so geeked out on everything that you tell them that they start to throw it back at you. And you're like, hang on a second, I'm not used to this. Cool. So changing the tools, kettlebell to med ball, changing the wordplay, $100 bill, and just constantly keeping it varied, it sounds yeah. like. Constantly, like, keeping the very, like, my kids train minimalist, highly repetitive, what my kids do. There's not, there isn't much variation. The variation comes more in the way it gets delivered. And like I said, from time to time, we'll, we'll change and implement to teach them something different. Like that, it comes back to, like, cues and corrections and, and different drills to work different things. Um, and that's kind of how the variance will come in. If I see them not being able to do something, then finding a different way to get them to do it and then going back to what they need to be doing. Very cool. So if somebody wanted to read this article and dive into these concepts a little bit deeper, where could they find it? They can find that on my website, on my blog. It's on there on coachbykylie.com. Um, I think yeah. there's a link also on my Instagram for it as well. But you'll find I, I tend to post bits and pieces of it through my Instagram from here and there. And there's some more. That article is in the process of getting expanded even further. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah, we'll be in touch. Let's see.